Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. How's it going, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Pair Program. I am your host, Tim Winkler, with my sidekick, Mike Gruen. Mike, I am dying to know uh, the talk of the town these days. Did you go see Top Gun Maverick in the theater this weekend? No, I did not go see Top Gun Maverick. I uh, did not even... Not a fan? No, no. I'm Well, I'm a fan of Top Gun, not a fan of Tom Cruise. So it sort of puts (laughs) me in this weird weird spot. But uh, did you go see it? I didn't. Uh, it's on the list, though. Like half my yeah, it's team. On the list. I'm not going to go opening weekend or whatever. I'm, I'll eventually go. Yeah. Yeah. Just wait till it's streaming. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, let's um, let's talk a little bit about today's episode. So today's episode is centered around the role of the staff engineer, and we wanted to dissect this position um, and also kind of break down like the different types of staff engineer positions that are out there. Um, also examine you know, how that might differ from a staff engineer in a startup environment in comparison to like a big tech environment. And, uh, you know, who better to help us out on this topic than to hear it firsthand from a couple of staff engineers. So uh, our two guests have both operated in this role uh, in both startup and in large environments. So um, Ben, uh, Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Cool. Um, all right. So before we, we dive into the discussion, uh, you know, we're going to kick it off with a nice witty and creative segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair Me Up. Uh, this segment, we, you know, we all go around the horn and we rattle off a complimentary pairing. And uh, Mike, you, my friend, you go ahead and lead us off. Yeah, uh, my uh, pairing is going to be oddly specific, uh, I think. Uh, so this weekend, uh, I was doing some uh, demolition. I've been working on dem- demoing a shed for uh, a couple weeks now, a few hours every like Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and so the, there's nothing. A long time ago, my dad gave me this one tool. It's called a fencing tool. So my pairing is fencing tools and demolition. Every time I've had to do some sort of like project where it requires taking things apart like a fence or the shed or whatever, this one tool is just phenomenal. And it's like got pliers. It's got like a little hook. It's got clippers. And it's just like a $25 tool that just is so damn handy. Um, and so, yeah, I've used it for 20 years now, ever since my dad gave it to me when I had to take apart an actual chain link fence, which is what it's intended to help build. Um, hence the name fencing tool. Um, but it's just got everything you need to take something apart. And it's uh, aside from like the sledgehammer aspect, which is also good for demolition. Nice. Yeah. Is your dad Edward Scissorhands? No. But my dad is very handy. Uh, <laughs> That's all it, I'm thinking about with this tool <laughs> of just like his hands. No, if you every saw it, you would, if you saw it, you'd be like, that looks pretty ordinary. It's just like a handle with a couple like you uh-huh. have to really look at it to see all of the things that it's capable of doing. It's a very um, uh, humble tool when you look yeah. at it. Anyway, yeah. so there you go. That's my pairing. Demolition can be super satisfying just to absolutely you know, get, some, fact, get some anger out. In fact, actually, one of my favorite things to do is deleting code. Like that's like I, I'm more <laughs> proud when I remove code than when I add code. So I think there's something similar to demolition and, and that. But anyway, right. so yeah. 
all right, I'm gonna, uh, I'll jump in here. Um, so, you know, kind of, kind of made reference to it earlier, but you know, in light of the Top Gun Maverick movie, um, that that's been released, uh, this obviously won't be as hyped by the time this episode gets released, but, um, I was motivated to, you know, really think about some of the greatest movie bromances out there. And I was trying to think if there was a bromance that topped, you know, Maverick, you know, Tom Cruise and Iceman, Val Kilmer, um, debated it for a while. Uh, and I had written down like Lethal Weapon, right? Mel and Danny, uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman and Shawshank. Um, even like the super bad kids kind of came to mind for me as well. But I, nothing in my opinion topped the romantic moment between, you know, Val and Tom at the end when he's, when, when Iceman looks at Maverick and tells him, you know, you can be my wingman anytime. It's like, that's gotta be, that's gotta be one of the top, top moments from a, from a bromance perspective. These two, I thought were, were the, the biggest pair, but. That was my um, that was my pairing. I don't know, did either of you guys catch the movie, or was there any interest from you all on seeing it? I'd like to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I was thinking it's funny. I was thinking that immediately the one that p- popped to mind was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's Ferris, and but I can't remember his name either. But right. there, uh, there are the, the other brands <laughs> I was thinking of. It's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it over to our guest now. Uh, Adam, why don't you give us a, a brief intro and tell us what your pairing is? Yeah, hi. I'm Adam Berman. I'm a staff engineer at R2C, uh, which is a small startup. Um, and the pairing I was thinking of, I just moved and it's my first time living in a place uh, of my own that has a backyard, like a really up for like hosting. And so, and at the same time, San Francisco just got like a taste of summer weather, like a couple days of 75 degrees before it gets its like typical uh san francisco summer fog and then summer actually happens in september and october uh so i was thinking summer weather and barbecues so i'm just really excited i have a gas grill that i'm gonna take out there uh have people over and uh and it's uh i don't know be out in this like beautiful backyard space a couple trees and uh turns out there's like you know lemon trees are fruiting now it's, it's really it's really nice that's awesome that is awesome. Now that you have a backyard, I highly encourage you to go out and get a fencing tool for, uh, for, <laughs> yeah, that's all I was thinking about that. I was like, this $25 tool seems uh, really valuable. I have some fence posts I need to uh, redo a little bit. So, uh, I, can you introduce me to your dad? I think that's what I need to mention. Yeah, that's, that's definitely better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's all these sponsorship ads we can get on this podcast is these, these tools, these, these pruning tools. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, let's kick it over to Ben, Ben, a uh, uh, quick intro and, and, uh, your pairing. Yeah. Hey, so I'm uh, Ben Edmonds. I'm a senior staff engineer at Wayfair and my pairing is going to be whiskey and salt. And so the story behind this is I have been, uh, really enjoying the Jefferson's ocean bourbon lately. Mm. And the claim for that is that they put it in barrels and age it at sea. So I don't know if my pal is good enough to taste the salt exactly, but I have a lot of friends that say you can. I like the taste of it. It's pretty smooth, and uh, it's been my go-to lately. Nice, nice. I do. I do like that we've continued our tradition of at least having whiskey or, or bourbon or something mentioned uh, as in the pairing. I think we maybe went two two episodes without, so that's nice to have that back. Yeah, we've got to we've got to keep alcohol involved. Um, yeah, I did two back-to-back trips to Louisville not too long ago for bachelor parties, and have enough bourbon to last me for at least for for the next three months. So. Um, Pr- but pretty, was any uh, of it aged at sea? 
Not in Asia at sea, though. It sounds like I need to go back uh, <laughs> do some sort of another tour. Um, that's awesome. All right, well let's uh, let's let's keep uh, moving along here and jump into uh, some of the main episode here. So, as I mentioned, we're going to be you know talking about the role of of staff engineer, and you know, this is actually a topic that's been brought to my attention and a few other engineering communities. Um, seems to be a, a buzzy topic, and and for good reason. Um, you know, there aren't if you think about it, there aren't too many specific positions that come to mind within an org that have such seniority tied to them, but you know don't always translate into a people manager you know type of position. So uh, a couple of things that we'll, we'll want to get accomplished. We'll break down the role, um, discuss what some of those like growth ladders might look like. Obviously, compare the positions amongst these different environments like startup and bigger tech. Um, Adam, let's start with you, uh, and, and maybe for some context for our listeners, um, you know, tell, tell, tell us a little bit more about R2C and like the size of, of where you all are at at this point, uh, maybe the scope of the team, and then we can break down, like, what does your role look like as a staff engineer in this environment? Sure. Yeah. So R2C is a, uh, small startup where 60 full-time employees, um, and we're in the security space. So we make the open source tool SEMGREP, which is a static analysis tool uh, and scans code in your CI pipeline, prevents vulnerabilities from getting out uh, into production. Um, we have, let's say, about 30 people on our engineering team. Um, and that's broken down basically into two groups. Half of the team approximately is working on the open source side of SEMGREP and like the rules that SEMGREP runs, and then the other half are like our cloud engineering team. Um, the staff role that I was hired into in the beginning of 2021 um, was focused on the cloud side, but reporting to the CTO. Um, and I think that's because we're still at a small enough size that they're, we're looking for people who, at staff role, having a cross-company impact means reporting to the CTO. We, we don't have a lot of tiers of hierarchy, so borrowing authority comes from there. Um, but I think that's also like the kind of staff engineer then, and we'll talk about this, that there's lots of different like varieties uh, of what staff engineer is and the kind of I was hired to do and kind of define for myself is the like bootstrapping new initiatives kind of across the org. Um, and that often requires like a lot of borrowed authority to be able to go in and uh, do things that are cross cutting and uh, like kick off new projects. Um, but also there's like a um, when, I think when you're at a startup, it like maybe matters a little bit less who you're uh, like, you know, wh whether you're putting into a director or a CTO or whatever, because these like hierarchies don't exist quite as uh, strongly. The teams like reorg a little bit, like self-reinforcing. Um, so, you know, the, the, who you're reporting into like might change or, or might not. Super helpful. Yeah. And, and I've got some additional questions that we can dissect that a little bit further. Uh, but um, let's jump to you, Ben, real quick. Um, and, and same question for context, uh, maybe just explaining a little bit more in terms of, you know, your specific role and, um, you know, I don't think anybody knows what Wayfair does. So if you can explain that, I'm just trying <laughs> 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 literally it was probably on that site about an hour ago. Um, but yeah, just explain a little bit more about, you know, your role as a staff, uh, senior staff engineer at Wayfair. Yeah. Uh, so Wayfair, we're in the business of having what you need. If you want to sing the jingle to yourself in your head. Yeah. Online retailer. We have over 3,000 engineers. And personally, I'm in our developer platforms org. And so our goal there is to build platforms and tools to make the rest of engineering productive. 
And so engineers are our customers. And that's, uh, that's what I spend a lot of my day thinking about. Uh, talking about archetypes, uh, I've mostly been in a solver type archetype recently. So it's basically where I'll go hunt for a problem, figure out some big problem we're having and try to fix it, like whatever that means. Sometimes that means digging into the actual technical problems. Sometimes it's getting people, you know, you know, aligned to go after this thing or finding that alignment some way across teams. Uh, other times it means building POCs or building some type of starter project to get something, some snowball rolling across the org and then finding ways to hand that off to others. Cool. And just also um, for both of you guys. So um, Adam, you came from a, a larger organization previously, correct? Yeah. So I was at Meraki for six years. Meraki was a startup that was acquired by Cisco, like just before I got there. Um, when I joined, we were like 500 total employees and about 50 engineers. By the time I left, we were, I think about 2,500 employees and almost 500 engineers. Um, so I got to see that growth happen, which was really interesting to see the culture evolve as the org changed. Um, and then also like, you know, by the end, and I, when I was in a leadership position, uh, being a being a leader in a org that is that large um, was it was really interesting to figure out like okay well do I want a role change do I want a company size change it's a hard thing to disambiguate a little bit because uh, I think what we'll find here is like a role staff engineer at two different size companies can be very different do you want to change that role a manager at two different size companies can be very different do you want to change that role or is it just about the company size. And then, Ben, you also have startup experience previously, correct? Yeah. Previously, I've done a few different startups. Most recently, as a CTO at a startup for several years. And that was uh, very small, like 12 people startup. Very nice. So what, what are some of these um, you know, big differences that we, that we see common uh, between you know, startup environments and, and larger organizations? You know, I can kind of riff from here. Oh, yeah, I, I can I can start maybe. I was thinking about this a little bit. I was just talking to uh, another person at R2C about like what does this role look like, and I think one of the, the big differences is a lot of these staff archetypes. There's almost like not room for them to exist fully fleshed out at a startup. Um, it, the like archetypes we're talking about are the ones Will Larson defined in his book Staff Eng. Um There's the solver. There's the uh, tech lead. The architect. Then uh, I do you remember what the fourth one is? Um, it's like the um, hand of the royalty or whatever. Yeah, the right hand, I think. Something right hand, like right. Um, which is I, I, feel, I think of as like director without reports. And I think at a startup, you like might inhabit each of these roles, you know, like kind of changing off. But I think there isn't quite room for someone to be like an architect who's building like a system that is going to exist for many many years with tens of people contributing to it. You're like trying to operate too lean and move too quickly and bounce around to too many things often for that like longevity to exist. Um, and there's like also a level of like you sort of have to expect every person to be a little bit more autonomous. So there's, you know, people are wearing different hats. So there's a little bit less of a need for some of some of that guidance. Um, you know, maybe there's a few tech leads, but, you know, maybe how, how many teams can there be at a company with 20 people? Right. So how many tech leads can you have? Uh, so it's an interesting part where like what I think what a staff engine does at a small company is very, very different. But I think Ben, you have a lot more experience being a staff uh, at, at a larger company. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's interesting how like the roles in the archetype changes almost quarter to quarter, definitely year to year as you're working through different projects or different scopes. So like at one point you might have a project that's scoped to the whole company, another time you might have a project that's scoped to the team. And so you do have to be fluid, but in like a different way, right? Like you're probably not wearing as many hats at once, but you do change out your hats often based on what you're going after. Um, it's been really interesting to see just like the, the difference between breadth and depth throughout my just journey here at Wayfair, right? Like I've had times where I was working on really broad projects, not able to go super deep, not able to get very technical. Then I've had times where the most leverage thing I could do is get very technical, actually coding up a project. Um, but that just changes kind of like as the needs of the business change. Yeah. I feel like that can change even in the scope of like a single day. I was yesterday. I was like, okay, I have the staff meeting where it's like the, I'm at the people who report to the CTO. So it's a couple of directors and a couple of staff engineers. Uh, like I feel like in that group, I'm often like wearing the hat of like the director without reports. Like, okay, what is the, how are we structuring the org? Like, what are the cultural things that we need to be aware of? What are we thinking about for hiring? Um, and then like later in the day, we're like, okay, great. I have my initiative that I'm focused on today. Should I be writing code on it? Should I be like working with the PM to figure something out? Like, what is the, you know, I'm, I'm more in a product focused role. So I'm thinking about like, okay, what are the customers saying? Like, who can I talk to tomorrow? Um, it's like very, you know, tactical and hands-on. It's like, okay, that, that, like that can shift back and forth even over the course of the day for sure. Mike, I thought you were about to say something. I mean, I can. Yeah, uh, I was <laughs> waiting. I, I paused. Um, I'm curious, like, because where the projects come from, like, and if that matters, if the size of the company it and, and what the impact of that is on sort of when you're determining what you're going to work on, where does that, you know, where's that coming from? Is it self? Is it coming from up above? Is it just, you know, there's some sort of meeting and people are like, hey, this is a problem that we're seeing. And you're like, oh, I can tackle that. I'm just sort of curious where you where that all comes from. Uh, so I find that it's like it's a combination of self-actuating and like getting information from others. And, and you know, those those two things happen hand in hand. Um, I feel like, you know, the big a big mistake that a lot of people have is like, I'm just going to go with my gut and just build whatever I think is right. It's like and then people are surprised that like, oh, this isn't what everyone else wanted. Um, it's like, OK, so like, you know, you have to do the work to figure out, like, what are the pain points? And a lot of that, I think, when you're at the staff level is you are not handed the problem to solve. So you're not just figuring out the pain points of a particular problem. You're doing, I think, often like a broad survey of like, what are the possible problems that could be solved? And where can I be most impactful in that set of problems? So like the previous thing that I was working on was a bunch of uh, DevOps work to improve our stability that was ended about six months ago. Uh, and then I was like, OK, like, you know, doing a survey of like, where, where, where could I be solving problems? talking to our CEO and thinking about like, where are the ideas in his head, talking to ICs to figure out like, hey, where are the big pain points, reliability, uh, or, or, or even like things that could be done in the product that no one has time for. And then there you're using your judgment to be like, okay, it's not just what is the highest leverage thing that anyone could do. It's also like, what is the highest leverage thing that I in particular can do with my skill set? Because this is like, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, the whole company is like rallying around this initiative and like, I could be one more person on this. And that's because it's a super high leverage project. Maybe it's not the highest leverage thing for me in particular to do. I can go be like the one person who kickstarts something else over there and gets knows this is a priority eventually. Three months from now, we'll all be ready for it. We'll be like really glad that someone was was like kicking tires on this thing. Um, but you got to like, I think there that's where you're like doing some discovery. And it's, I think like the 
trap I see some people falling into is people like people say like, okay, go do this thing. And you, you take it and you just like assume that's the right thing to do. But there's a lot of value in having a set amount of time with like unstructured, just like, let's question assumptions. Let's get a lot of different viewpoints. Let's try some things out uh, and not have a direct goal in mind and like let yourself like come to that problem that feels like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this next couple of months, but I like had a couple of weeks to figure out to like to gain the confidence that this is the right place for me to spend the next few months, next few quarters. Yeah. That autonomy is one of my favorite things about the role. Just it's kind of like, it's an open book and you can draw what you think you need to. You can go after the problems you think are most useful, most ambitious, most interesting. Right. And you can kind of mix and match those to meet both your own personal needs and the company's needs. I think when you're like a fresh staff engineer new to the role, that can be one of the more stressful things, or at least it was for me. So it's this like, you go through your career kind of working tickets or working these well-defined problems or these features, right? And like, that's what brings you to this role. And then you're, you drop in this role and it's like, okay, now go figure out what you need to do. And that can be kind of overwhelming. But once you really get used to it, it's, uh, it's pretty freeing, right? Like, it's like, I am the complete master of my own destiny in LA. Right. And, and that could be like almost like a little bit of a double edged sword, too, right? It's like you're the master of your destiny. If you can go waste a bunch of time on something that is not valuable, don't learn a bunch from whatever. And there aren't a lot of people that are going to tell you, like, ah, you shouldn't be doing this. Or, or I don't know, maybe there will be, but like, you know, you have sort of the power to ignore them. Um, uh, I, I think that this is like, but I think that this is like an area where like if people talk about like what's the difference between senior and staff. It's like, Often it's not like, oh, I have like absolute technical mastery of a bunch of things. It's like, I feel like staff engineers were like, no, you have like the right instincts and enough technical breadth and depth to be able to understand like this is something that is really valuable on your own. Uh, or in a, not like on your own, like in a vacuum, but like on your own by going and seeking input. There's a, this Slack channel, the at Slack group, the RANS Leadership Slack, and they have a, this staff. Uh, and principal engineering group. And a lot of people like often make the joke, like, what is my job at the company is to ask the question, like, well, what's the real problem here? Just over mm -hmm. and over and over. And it's like, I feel like that's a really like powerful thing. It's like a, one of the things that staff engineers have is like the ability, like the like gut instincts to be able to like dig a layer deeper, dig another layer deeper um, and understand like where the real problem is as opposed to paying attention to like the symptoms or the first thing you come to. Yeah, that was actually, I think how I, came came across your profile Adam was like um it was it might have been talking about this topic of staff engineers getting stuck um and so a lot of a lot of folks going into this channel and kind of you know vetting with other staff engineers for a little bit of inspiration uh seems to be a, a pretty helpful almost like a a therapy group or something <laughs> totally it's it's like validating a little bit because it seems it, it can be kind of lonely. The like ratio of staff engineers at a company is like often there's not that many staff engineers and a lot more senior engineers and like a lot, a lot more people who are junior early in their career. If you're, I don't know, company R2C size, there's only a few. And, you know, it's really nice to be able to have these career growth opportunities from these other channels, but also like validation that like, okay, in this last week, I didn't write any lines of code. And that is totally okay because your job is no longer your success metrics for your job are no longer judged on just like lines of code produced or like mm -hmm. features shipped per week, whatever. It's like you're taking some time to step back, think about what is the most valuable thing to do, helping to mentor other people, building a proof of concept that you throw away, like totally, but you learned a lot from. 
Uh, it's like now validating to hear other people be like, yeah, that's like, this is what we expect of a senior person. You're like, if you, if, if all software engineers were just judged on like how quickly they build things, we would like not get a lot of innovation. Ever. Interesting. Yep. I'm curious. I mean, you sort of touched on it a little bit, Ben, but also Adam, like, um, aside from like the technical stuff, like what would you say are some of the other skills you're bringing on the table that really sort of helps to differentiate, say, a senior engineer from a staff engineer or principal? Yeah, I'd say it looks a lot like management, just without the management pieces, right? Like what, what skills does a great director bring to the table? Alignment, you know, collaboration, getting people behind a vision. You're doing all that as a staff engineer, but you're doing it without the power. So it's, you know, you have to, to do that through influence instead of authority. It's the way we explain it a lot of times. And so you're coming into a room, maybe you have some authority just with your title, but in general, you have to convince a group of people, that, you know, what is the best idea or help them find the best idea and then lead them towards that. Uh, personally, like my management experience, I was a manager, you know, for years at startups. Um, everything I learned there is incredibly valuable every day because as you go up the ladder, it's less technical problems and more people problems. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the like, uh, the, the, it's rarely the technical skills that are the blocker for someone making the leap from senior to staff. Um, in fact, I feel like the almost, almost it's, it's never because a lot of the job of being a staff person is being comfortable going and like asking questions in order to figure things out and not like being able to just, just figure it out yourself. Um, it's like working with other people and like le leveraging that. Um, but I think I to totally the like it's, it's leadership. That's, that's the big differentiator. It's alignment. As you said, um, it's build, building culture and helping people get, get them bought into that culture, um, building a vision, helping people get them bought into that vision. There's this blog, the charity majors writes called charity.wtf. It's a great title. And I think she has this amazing voice about engineering leadership where she like really clearly points out that a lot of people are pushed into management because of like problems in the organization that like, that's the only way to be influential is to be a manager. But also she charts out this like other career path, which I think I, I have ascribed myself to, which is the pendulum instead of the ladder, um, where you often like start and start an initiative, you build it, you scale it as a lead, you eventually move into management and like build people, hire people to like help grow this vision. And then instead of deciding, great, I want to be a director, you like move in, you then go build something else. You like let the team become self, uh, self-sustaining and you go kick off the next thing as an IC again. Um, and she talks about how like the best managers are often not that far away from being an IC because they really remember and feel strongly like how it was. And then the best ICs, as you, as you said, Ben, have management experience because they're able to like think through the lens of like the value to the organization how they're working across teams, things like that. So I feel like be, having people who have both of this experience, and I, I feel like that's really common as we see a lot of staff engineers who were senior engineers for a while, moved into management, liked the leadership side, but maybe didn't like the people management side as much, hiring, whatever. Um, and then are just saying like, I can be this influential as an IC. And then they, they make that jump back into staff. Yeah, one big thing that comes to mind too is just the ability to handle different scopes and ambiguity, which can almost be a hard gap to cross as like a senior IC. Um, so that I recommend to a lot of people go do a stint in management, do it for a year. And that teaches you to kind of deal with that ambiguity because now you're managing problems that maybe you don't have the time to get in depth on. You have to learn how to manage them at a breadth level. 
and trust other people's opinions and learn how to ask them the right questions to get, you know, pressure test and get to the right answers. Um, and so that's another thing you do a lot as a staff engineer. You just have to, you have to manage the ambiguity of different situations and problems that are so big in scope that you can't personally dig into the technical details of every little part, right? You have to figure out how to manage that at a breath bubble. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I think that's absolutely right. It's that ambiguity piece. And I feel like exactly like when you move into a line manager role, I like if you go to your director with like these ambiguous problems or like your team specific, the director like doesn't have time to handle this often or like, or they're a really strong leader. And so they're going to like push you to figure this out yourself. Right. That's like, that's what a great director does is they like help you learn a decision-making framework to help you um, help you make those decisions. And so there's like mentorship there built in, in that transition to make sure that you can be effective. And then you can go back to staff and you have that skill. And maybe I feel like that's a really hard thing. If you're just going from senior to staff without that management thing in between is like, where is the mentorship? Where's the push and the guidance when giving you that push to learn how to thrive in that ambiguity? That's hard. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. Yeah, this is awesome. This is why we have two guests. You guys can just keep going. I think I'm just going to go take a, eat a snack. Yeah. I'm curious, maybe because Mike, you're, I think you're a director, right? Yeah. How, how do you think about that? Do, do you have staff people reporting to you? Do you like think about that transition? Like, how do you think about that transition for line managers as they're figuring it out? And, maybe also different for senior engineers making that leap to staff in your order. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think about it a lot. Um, it's, I think that there's, I look for certain qualities in people um, and I might not have somebody be, I, I, I'm a strong believer in a very flat organization. The last few places I've been, um, I have like a ton of direct reports, but then sort of a lot of leads who are leading on the technical side. And that lets me, focus more on some of the other problems, but even those leads, if you're leading a group, right? Like you have some, you're going to have to deal with some of these people problems. And so I do want to make sure that as, even as a senior engineer, as you're going through, you are getting opportunities to deal with some of those people problems so that when you sort of get to that point in your career where you're like, do I want to go management as my next move? Or do I want to, you know, sort of stay technical as my next move? And, you know, I always emphasize this with everybody. Like, it's not a ladder. It's, you know, you're sort of, it's a switch back up a hill, right? You, I've bounced back and forth, forth between these things. But at some point, I want to make sure that people have those opportunities to know what it's like to be uh, a manager and, and lead certain things um, and deal with some of those people problems. Um, even at the lowest, like, even if you're early in your career, you can still lead a group, right? Like... And so I think that's some of the stuff that I look for. And those are the qualities then that would lead me to believe that like, oh, this is a person who really understands the business. To me, that's the that's the it's the soft skills and, and the people stuff, but also 
really being able to see the big picture of what's the biggest, most important problem that the business needs to solve and understanding that like sometimes the technical things like, yeah, they're annoying or, or whatever, but that's not what's actually going to move the needle and where a technologist really needs to apply themselves is like, I'm going to solve this problem. And maybe it has not, you know, maybe it's like solving some technical problem that's affecting the sales team. Um, and there's just this like total disconnect between these three systems and, and all this data is messed up and blah, blah, blah. And you're just going to go solve that. And you know that that's really going to have a big impact on, you know, on sales or marketing or, or whatever else. So I think those are the other things I look for is that sort of understanding of the business um, in addition to being able to sort of influence people and talk to people and, 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 and lead. Yeah. I I, I I feel like that's that really makes sense to me. The like, it's even like in an infrastructure role, you, having people who not even I feel like especially in an infrastructure role, maybe having people who can align the outcomes of their work with like the business needs is uh, just like such a such an importance as you get more senior. But I think another thing you pointed out is like these are people who have like built trust with you, right? They've built trust with you. Yeah that they're like that they understand the business they build trust with you that they can go be autonomous they build trust with you that they'll ask good questions when they're blocked and i feel like that's a thing like you really like you're really really thrust into when you become a manager for the first time is like your job is trust building your job is trust building between you and your directs your job is trust building between the across the whole team and i feel like that's that's another thing like another thing that i think we see like as a a big hurdle for people sometimes move, trying to move from staff from senior staff is like recognizing someone said the phrase like you earn trust in thimblefuls and you break it in by the barrelful um where like that your job is like in every interaction is to build trust within your team across the organization because you're trying to get things done and and trying to collaborate with people and it's it's not just like who knows what or who's right it's about like being effective which requires trust and i think getting people to make that shift is like less obvious um then like when you make that shift into management where it's like, okay, your job, this is your first class job. It's like, it really, we should like reinforce that. Like for engineering, this is also part of your first class job is to build trust with others. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really goes a long way to build trust is um, knowing what I care about and raising things like, like knowing that like, look, I, 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 I'm a big believer in um, not just like, empowered teams but like emancipated like i i I want the people to make have agency and make the right decisions and i believe my job is to make sure they have the information to make the right decision at the same time part of that trust is also them saying like hey here's something i know you care a lot about whether it's security or whatever and i want you know like before i go do this terrible thing that or potentially terrible thing let me just run it by you um because the worst is like you know you sort of find out about it after the fact and it's those people that can figure out like that don't come and bother me with all of the little things like, Hey man, I trust you. Like, just do it. Like, like there's a point at which like I get tired of saying that and then there's other, you know, and so finding that balance and it's tough. Um, and you know, um, but I think that's another part of that trust building as well is recognizing what, um, whoever it is, uh, cares about and making sure that they're a stakeholder and they're bought into to the solution. And I think that gets into some of the things that you have to do as a manager, right? As you move up in an org, you have to reach out and work more and more with other parts of the organization. And it's, it's more lateral and up than it is down. Yeah. I mean, the common theme that I'm, I'm kind of hearing from, from everybody is, you know, it sounds like these, you know, the staff, that staff role is super 
super ingrained into the business at large and, um, you know, really kind of has the ear of, you know, the executive team or the CTO specifically, maybe just to, to really make sure like, you know, as, as you're, as you're building, you're, you're keeping that vision in mind. And, and I, I think that's, it's fascinating because, you know, we oftentimes see, um, for one, just, you know, if we think about how startups scale up, you know, in earlier stages, right. We, we see a little, a little, um, hesitancy from from CTOs for example of letting go of of some of that power or some of the reins um and that oftentimes that's why you'll have a, a, le- a lengthy delay before you have like that middle layer maybe like um uh and you know you think through of like a VP or or a director somebody who's going to help with some of that people management to then free up that CTO's time to to continue to kind of be a visionary and and understand you know wh- where where things go from there um that principal uh, i'm sorry that staff engineer is really a a pretty instrumental piece in and you know being that right hand to the cto i think to continue the uh, more of that hands on piece of of what they're trying to build um versus like the people management side of things yeah that that totally that totally resonates with me i think like I, as they're as we're making that transition, where like the CTO, you know, three years ago there was like ten people at the company, and the CTO was coding just like everybody else, mm-hmm. right? And now, you know, and Jorg is thirty people, and the CTO's job is to be CTO is to like really be the like you know the leader who sets the tone for the organization, and 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 I think like the my job it feels like a lot of it is to make sure that I have a ton of trust with the person that I report to, the CTO, um, make sure that like you know we have brain meld. That I, as you said, Mike, that I understand what he cares about, um, so that I can make sure to raise things effectively, and then trust that trust comes into play when you know the CTO can say, "Okay, here are the problems facing the organization. If I can take one or two of those problems and just own them, and know that he doesn't have to worry about those problems anymore, that like either me myself will go solve them, or I'll go like run initiative and get a lot of people focused on them, or something like that. Take that off of his plate." And it can be like, you know, based off that trust, he knows that I'll raise things to his level when I need his support or whatever. It's like, that's, I feel like, you know, the goal at some point is to be able to work through your people. And sometimes that means like working through teams and then they work through teams. And sometimes it's just saying, okay, I, I need some ICs under me so that they like that, that also share that trust that they can go work directly on some of our like highest leverage, highest value things. Mm-hmm. So I think that I'm curious, um, Ben, like at a larger organization, like how that works, because that's what I was sort of asking earlier was like, I get like at a smaller company, right? You're going to as a staff engineer, you're probably more plugged into what's going on. The CTO knows those problems and it's probably coming from a little bit of both up above you and down below you, right? In terms of like those projects, right? But as you get a larger organization, there's no way anyone actually can track everything that's going on. And I'm sort of curious, like, how do you get the like? What's that process look at look like for getting started on an initiative? Like, do you actually have to go through some sort of like proposal period where like, hey, this is the thing I want to solve and this is the benefits I think and someone's approving it? Or is it just like, I think this is something I want to work on. I'm going to go work on it. And that's your job. Like, I'm just sort of curious if that that, that larger organization, if there's there's more process around making those choices uh, of what to work on. Yeah, I've gotten a few ways, right? Sometimes it's just a director will come to me and say, you know, hey, this is concerning me, but I I don't know the details. Could you check on it, right? And that might turn into a check on it for a week. Yeah, it's good. You don't have to worry about it. Or it turns into, 
I'll spend the next quarter really digging into this and helping the team through the problem, right? Other times it'll be, I just kind of, you know, I'm curious and I poke around or there's something I've been wanting to do and I just lead an effort into that. Where you do need more consensus, usually when it's something that requires multiple people or other teams. So at that point, I usually kick it off with an RFC or some type of project brief to really lay out what is the scope of the problem? How do we think we need to solve this? Get some alignment across the teams and then mostly just kind of pitch those teams on it as a thing they should work on and then get it on their roadmaps. So that's where a lot of the like influence comes in, where you have to, you have to get other engineers interested in this problem enough put aside other stuff they might want to do to work on kind of your problem that you care about. Yeah. I, I don't even think we got to some of these other questions. I was kind of <laughs> really interested in hearing about. Um, I'm, I'm just going to ask it anyways, because I'm just enjoying this conversation. Uh, so I, I'd say, I don't know, I'm curious on like, what is the, what are, what are those paths look like at, at R2C? Like, you know, do, is it clearly defined um, of, you know, this is that progression and then this is how this is how you get to this staff role? I think it's clearly defined what the staff role looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, let me step back. The staff role is very ambiguous. And I think every person sort of defines what staff is for themselves. But I think it's very clear what the expectations of a staff person are in terms of autonomy and scope. Um, so you have to be able to figure out what does autonomy and scope look like for you within your piece of the org or, or, or whatever that is. Um, I think, and I, I'd, I'd be curious, Ben's take on this too. For In an organization, you don't have the need for like infinite staff engineers in the same way that you don't have the need for like infinite directors, right? It's like if, if your whole company is directors, who is who are they directing? Um, you, um, you, so, so there are like opportunities to, show that you are like staff level um, and uh, but, you know sometimes there may not be like all of the initiatives or like all of the uh, like opportunities available um, I think for us the move to staff often comes from being able to show that like even if there isn't a absolute clear like staff project available that you are capable of going and finding the thing that no one else is paying attention to and like showing and you can do that like you know consistently whether that's in you know spending three days on it or saying, we should, as a company, spend a quarter on this because it'll it'll bring a lot of rewards um, for us. Um, yeah, so I think let maybe I'm not sure if that totally answers the question. Hey, no, I mean because it sounds like it's not just you know you just look on the org chart and it's like oh okay I'm right after the senior engineer there that's my next step right there's a lot more to you know, pretty much proving that this is a role that you can yeah you can and it's also a quick choice of like is this the role you want. It's yeah. going to mean that you're more hands off, that you're not building features directly. And some people don't want to make that transition. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we want to have a world in which at R2C, where like that's totally fine. That like senior software engineer being an effective and, and responsible and like, you know, productive senior software engineer is a totally fine uh, like career uh, path. Staff means that you are like working at an operating at a, another scope of autonomy, but also means that you're in like, giving up a lot of the things that like maybe made you happy as a senior software engineer. Yeah. And you're a 30 person engineering team. Yep. And, and how many staff engineers are part of the team? Uh, we are three staff engineers. So I think we're probably like really highly leveraged in that direction. Yeah. Um, and I, my, my intuition is that like the smaller you are, the more okay that is, but then also it's like, because uh, there's like, uh, but then it's like only for certain types of staff engineers where if we went out and hired like a, 
uh, you know, hand of, uh, or, or, or a, um, or a, uh, like architect, they might honestly just like not have a lot to do. This would probably be a bad fit for them in their, in our organization. Um, when we are, you know, double or triple in size, that will probably change. And then Ben, you mentioned that you have tiers, right? You have staff engineer and then senior staff engineer. And then what's above that? Yeah, principals are tops. We have a fairly defined ladder. So it's, you know, senior engineer, staff engineer, senior staff principal. Um, there's slight variation of that within the company or different companies might have slight variations, but that's kind of the general ladder you'll see. And basically, that's just an increase in scope. So senior staff is almost like a different job, right? Like your, your scope is now increased to the point where you're not hands-on. You're not coding all the time, you know, sometimes not much at all, right? Like your problems are slightly different. And then kind of above that, it's where your scopes increase. So for us, staff is mostly scoped to a team, but you're expected to influence multiple teams, right? So you're kind of that bridge between teams in a lot of ways. At senior staff, you're influencing a whole department or you're kind mm -hmm. of guiding and leading multiple teams towards certain goals or you're able to handle a project that's scoped to a whole org or to the whole company. And then a principal, like you're pretty strictly influencing the whole company very regularly you might be assigned to a department and that's kind of the department you you lead technically but uh, you're you're very often influencing across the company um, a lot of the way we kind of do your question adam how do you constrain that right like you can only have so many staff engineers for so many you know senior engineers with people you know doing the actual real work you know not just talking in zoom meetings all day or writing google docs and uh, the way we do that mostly is that we do require those staff projects or we require you to showcase that you can handle that scope and ambiguity in some large way. So that might be sourcing an objective and kind of leading that over a couple of quarters. That might be some big staff level project that has a change across multiple teams, right? But because of that, you know, there's only so much of that you can do. And there's only so much room for that in any given team or org. And so that's somewhat of the you know, kind of organic constraint on how many people in any given cycle, get promoted to that level. Hmm. Fascinating. Cool. Um, well, yeah, I'd, I'd uh, say that we should probably probably jump to the the next segment here. Um, I'll real quick fact check um, it. Those those archetypes. Yeah, it was the tech lead, architect, solver in the right hand, um, and then I think Adam, you mentioned like the pioneer was the 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 fifth archetype that yeah. you think should be something that that could be applied. Yeah, which is which is like I think. Maybe it's someone who wears all four of the hats, whatever they need to. But I, I think of it more as like a the pioneer is the person who has the technical breadth and also can like wear the PM hat a little bit and can go like run a bunch of experiments, figure out nine places that aren't good places to land, but one that is sort of t like totally autonomously and then do the work of getting a self-sustaining team spun up around that one place. And that requires like, some amount of technical skill, some amount of PM skill, and then a lot of this like leadership that we talked about, where like you are getting people bought into your vision, you're getting people not just bought into the vision that you laid out, but so bought in that they can sustain that vision when you step back. And it's about like constructing that exit plan early so that they can't you can step back and they can take ownership. It's just a badass name too, the pioneer. I think that's what we need to start rolling out. Hatch a couple of pioneer roles. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Um, cool. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition us now to this this closing segment here uh, called "Round Out My Career." 
Um, so in this segment, you know, we spin this community wheel behind me. Uh, it has topics and questions crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community. Um, you know, it could be anything from compensation to uh, culture to diversity. So I'm going to give it a spin and uh, see what the topic is. Let's round it out. I don't like that one. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. This is a question. I don't know if we've asked it before, but you know, it's, it's a fairly, um, you know, common question about learning. So the topic is learning and I'm just curious to go around the horn and, and ask, um, you know, any specific like books or blogs or podcasts that you you all have listened to or read uh, that you recommend that have helped you kind of like growing in your in your career as a, a technologist um, could be startup specific or it could just be just as a as an engineer. Um, why don't we kick it off with Ben? Yeah, sure. So I'll uh, probably still a couple that Adam's already referenced, which is uh, Lil Larson's books and blog are both terrific resources. He has a a uh, elegant puzzle, which is a engineering management book, and then he also has a staff engineering book, which are, are both just great resources. Um, and then Charity Majors blog is also great. And then there's the um, I believe it's called the Manager's Path by Camille Fournier, and then there's also the Staff Engineer's Path by uh, Tanya that's coming out pretty soon. So those are both really great. Cool. Yeah, we'll add those into the the show notes um, when we post the episode. Uh, how about uh, yourself, Adam? Yeah, I think I echo all of those. Tanya has a great blog as well, and I think one of the my favorite blog posts or sort of blog post and presentations that I've ever seen is this one on glue work, um, which is like the unsung work that actually allows people to get things done, um, and really highlights too that like you should uh, you should understand whether your org values it because. Uh, some people get sucked into this glue work and it is not valued. And then they wonder why their career is stalling um, because it is not well identified. But if you can be in a company that does value this work, uh, it feels like it is the work that often, like, I think like uh, as staff work that you get really, really good at this sort of stuff, you end up like progressing relatively quickly. Um, I I think the other piece of it is finding a community uh, of peers that you can talk with. and then like the sort of the resources continue to come to it. So I've referenced before the Rand's leadership Slack is a great one. Uh, lead dev is a really good one too. Um, and they have a lot of conferences over the course of the year. Where you can build your network and they put out blog posts every week or so. Um, and so being able to find peers where you can ask questions, where you can state ideas and get challenged, I feel like is, is really important. Um, I look forward to RTC growing and being able to like really have a peer internal peer group. I'm curious, Ben, does Wayfair have a internal peer group for staff plus folks? With a few different internal groups, even that gets hard at our size, right? And so uh, right now we're working on some internal mentorship groups. And so like our department has a mentorship group. We'll, we'll you know, so like you're a senior engineer that wants to get to staff, we'll assign you to a staff engineer. It's like, that's your mentor and you, you pair, you know, you pair up with them pretty regularly, maybe for a quarter or two to work on just whatever random things you might want to work on to build that skill set. Yeah. Scott Trigley had an interesting blog post about something like that at Stripe where they're like every new staff engineer is paired with a staff mentor from like a different part of the org and that helps build those connections from day one. 
um, that seems really, really, really valuable. That's creative. Mike, what about you? Any, yeah, I mean, any... just just echoing the like the community aspect. I, I so much of what um, gets recommended to me, or so much is from the peer groups I've sort of built over time. Um, there's like a whole group of former colleagues from one company. We all work together. Uh, we actually have our own Slack work group, and um, what's awesome is like seeing the 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 people that like they were junior when they were there, but now they're like in leadership positions and they're asking the same questions like, Hey, what book would you recommend? And so we have this like nice, like running list of like books we recommend and, and, and things like that. So that peer group and, and um, I think staying in touch with um, people who, with whom you've worked over the years and continuing to, to nurture those relationships um, is great. I'm a, I'm an introvert. Um, so I don't really like those like, huge Slack work groups of like all of these people from all these different companies that I know, where I don't know anyone. And I prefer those like smaller, like I know these people um, and, and there's that level of trust uh, again. So uh, definitely encourage people to do that and stay in touch with, with people and, um, and use that um, in terms of books um, like just other books that I definitely recommend uh, from a leadership perspective. One of the ones that um, I really enjoyed was turn the ship around. Um, which really does talk about it's it's not a technology book. It's just talk. It's just a leadership book. Um, really talks about how to create a bottom up type organization where people do have that agency um, to do what they need. And I appreciate that. Um, that was a really good one. Um, team tip team topologies is another really good book um, in terms of how to sort of organize and, and stuff like that. Um, I'll leave it there. I think there's I could go through a list of like twenty books, um, but those are. Those are two that I definitely recommend that we haven't talked about. Yeah, I'd, I'd um, follow suit on the on the community aspect as well. I mean, it's uh, the Rand's Leadership Slack community is really, uh, really insightful. It's it's also just interesting to navigate to see, you know, what are what do folks struggle with? You know, uh, what what do technologists struggle with, or what what's trending right now in terms of you know staying current uh, with with how. Um, you know, startups are solving problems or how they're growing. Uh, I, I like, I like uh, navigating that community just for some inspiration on, on things that we can also bring to the, uh, our community and our, our podcast as an example uh, to help get more, uh, you know, more voices to it, you know, and, and uh, you know, spread, you know, any sort of insider uh, content that we can to help, um, amplify you know solutions or or new ideas around what whatever it is that folks are talking about so i i i'd agree with that one um i, I like listening to uh some some podcasts out there that are more centered around just like general um startup growth um so indie hackers is a great one just i um, you know it's a little bit more of like how folks are doing it from an independent consulting stance and then you know getting to that next step which in my opinion sometimes is just the hardest part, right? Just getting that flexibility or freedom to be able to, you know, hire your first employee. Um, I think it's it's super helpful for perspective as you start growing and kind of thinking back to like your roots of of those first few hires and how difficult it can be. Um, and then from I guess a book uh, perspective, uh, another one that's kind of like more of a leadership book. What it's uh, called called Do the Kind Thing, which is uh, the CEO, founder of Kind Bar, uh, Daniel Betsky. Um, he puts a, a really interesting spin on, uh, you know, that story of of how they came to be um, and the struggles that he, he went with uh, to get there. So it's 
it's a good one. I, I definitely recommend. And then, um, yeah, the hatchpad. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. <laughs> We're, it's, it's challenging because we don't, um, we don't necessarily have a, a robust forum environment and I definitely see value in a forum, but it can, it's also the type of thing. If it's not grown with intention, uh, it, it can just be spoiled and, you know, be less effective than, than effective and helpful. Um, so right now, yeah, it's just more of a content, um, you know, and media that we're gathering from startups, you know, that we're collaborating with or, or, you know, just, just think are really doing something neat and, and tapping those technologists, you know, product folks, engineers and getting their stories, but more on like the human side of engineering, uh, those experiences, um, through startup world, I think are super relatable for folks that are in startup world. So like, uh, like pushing that type of stuff out. Um, Cool. I think that that's a wrap guys. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. I think this is a really helpful topic and we're, we're pumped to, to push it out. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Great to meet y'all. Yeah. If there's anywhere specific that you want to shout out where folks can, you know, connect with you or follow you or, or whatever, uh, your, you know, your social, uh, choices, you know, feel free to shout it out now. Um, otherwise we can just post it later in the, in the notes. Twitter's best for me. Uh, it's just uh, Ben Edmonds, one word. It's my handle. Cool. I think I have an unused Twitter somewhere, uh, <laughs> but uh, nothing there. I think uh, I'll say R2C, we're hiring. Um, we're looking for you know people who want to make that jump, uh, really product-focused people on the engineering side and kind of cross all roles. So come work cool. with us. Are, are you guys hiring uh, fully remote across the country or anywhere specific? We're hiring North America remote or able to work North American time zone remote. We have a HQ in San Francisco. We also have a pretty big contingent on the East Coast as well. We have people like, you know, come out to headquarters every once in a while. Cool. Yeah, we'll totally promote that as well. Sweet. All right. Thanks again, guys. Uh, this has been fun. We'll uh, we'll catch you guys later. Thanks. Thanks. Seth. Thank you for listening to the Pair Program. If you'd like to continue the conversation from this week's episode, you can do so with the Hatchpad community. Join us at chat.myhatchpad.com.